0: Um, So, um, yeah, so this Sunday, uh, Dave Wagner was supposed to uh, teach, and then I find out Saturday morning that he wasn't, so I was like, well, now you're like, oh, pastors, aren't you? You're like, oh, he's supposed to be in the Word of Course, but like, I have like my own personal study time, and then it's like study time when I feel like the Lord is leading the church in. Sometimes they're together, and sometimes they're not, and so it was kind of like, oh, okay. Um, And then um, another piece of the puzzle here is, uh, tonight is Hanukkah. First night of Hanukkah, at sundown. And uh, traditionally, every year, I, I teach and and, and, uh, and teach and preach on the concepts that are, that are found in Hanukkah. Um, and so I was going before the Lord, and I felt the Lord was telling me to, to do something a little different, which was really weird, because I was like, man, I, like, not many people learn about Hanukkah anyway. So I was like, wow, I really want to teach on And the Lord was just like, it's, it's, it's actually something I don't want you to do right now. So maybe next week, that will maybe be what the Lord leads us in. But this week, I felt the Holy Spirit was just showing me to just do a continuation on some of the uh, concepts uh, that we were studying last week. And uh, many of us were not here for Thanksgiving and things of like that, but the Lord was just revealing new aspects of what I was teaching on last week. So it's going to be almost be like a part two of that. Um, and for our guests, what we've been doing here is we've been doing a series on the times and life of Jesus, taking a look at the depths of the cultural aspects and the historical aspects of what's going on during the times of Jesus. And so that's what we've been doing for a little bit. And so, this week's message, as usual, is going to be a little different. It's going to be about making your bed. Yeah, you're allowed to laugh. You can. Making your bed. Uh, It's a simple act. It really is a simple act. And it's a simple act that's actually symbolizing a divine appointment and a divine journey. Say this again. Making your bed symbolizes a divine act, a divine journey, a divine calling on your life. <clears throat> I know you think I'm nuts, right? This is what you tell like your, your six and seven, to eight year olds to, to make their bed. Or my wife should probably tell me at times, right? Be honest. Making your bed. Let's up uh, a lesson in chaos to order. Let's open up to uh, Genesis one. <clears throat> if you have your word, I'm sorry if I'm going to be coughing uh, a little bit today. Um, I usually uh, don't do this—read uh, in Hebrew—but uh, I, I wanted to today because there's a certain kind of beauty to the language in the opening uh, verses, and there's also an unpacking of two phrases which are tremendously important for understanding this book. So I'm going to read in Hebrew and then in English. bara Elohim et ve va vohu, ve in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So, there is a Hebrew phrase in that first. I mean, this is, guys, this is the first two verses of God's word unto man. What we know here is anyone who ever watches a movie, anyone who ever reads a book, anyone who ever reads a newspaper article. Your first paragraph, first couple lines of anything, is, is setting the stage. It's the it's the modus operandi. It's the reason for being for the entire work. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out without form and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The the phrase that I really wanted to focus in on here is this, tohu vavuhu, which in English is empty and void. God is there, and there's an emptiness, and there's a void to it all. Uh, The Hebrew understanding of this phrase is that there's uh, uh, there's a void, there's a, a chaos that's there. Nothing is ordered. But within the Hebrew understanding, there's a chaos, there's an emptiness, there's a void. But within it, there is potential for things. That's really the understanding here, right? If you listen to the scientists, so they say the Big Bang Theory, right? What they say, they out of, out of chaos came order. And so many people scoff at you, are like, well, that's exactly what the first two verses of Genesis says. Out of energy, the chaos of it all, there is an amazing amount of potential for everything that exists and ever will exist, and the Lord is there, and He speaks, right? And He creates it all. This is the first two verses, man, of the entire thing, and what is coming to a head here is that there's a story that is about to unfold, and it's a beautiful story that out of chaos, out of nothingness, out of darkness, out of seemingly just chaos, the Lord is now going to unfold order to everything. And it's so powerful because it's the beginning of it all. Now, Genesis continues, and I'm not going to necessarily read it, but it's very phenomenal if you start looking at it in the Hebraic kind of model. What, What starts to happen is after this event, God creates stuff, and then He fills stuff. Then he creates more stuff, and then God fills that stuff. And it's really phenomenal. Actually, he creates some type of chaos, unorganized thing. And then the next event is he creates something to fill that chaos. Then he creates more seemingly chaos, and he puts more order into it. So what I'm getting at here is the Lord doesn't create darkness, emptiness, water, land, and the seas. And then he creates light, heavens, land, grass, trees, and sea and creatures. He doesn't work that way. He does this. He creates darkness. Then he fills the darkness darkness with light. He brings order out of seemingly chaos. That's good. Then he moves on to the next thing. All right, now I make emptiness. How do you make emptiness? Well, God made emptiness. And in the emptiness, he then fills it with the heavens. Then he makes water, which is just essentially a symbol in biblical literature, either of life or the unknown. This happens all throughout ancient cultures. Uh, it's, It's this notion of like the place of the womb, the water, the place of the unknown where all things come out of. And so he creates the water, this seemingly unknown place of generation, and he recedes the water so that land is exposed. So he removes some chaos, some unknown to reveal the mountains and the valleys. He then creates the land, which we've just talked about, and the land is there, but there's nothing on the land, it's just rock. And then he puts grass and the trees and the animals on there. And then he talks about a separate sea. So the first water was essentially uh, essentially, like, kind of like the firmament and all this kind of crazy stuff. But then he creates more water or more seas, which is of the oceans. And so I, know, I get passionate about this stuff. <clears throat> I'm trying to convey that passion. Because the power of this is that from the unknown comes the known. Amen. From chaos, bring, God brings order. And in fact, if you really want to take a look at this as a piece of literature, obviously as the Word of God, as setting the stage, God chooses to write down this setting. because the rest of the book is about this concept. God bring order from chaos. God bring order to your chaos. That's right. That's right. Hmm. Yeah. And so what are these things? Chaos? Chaos is the unknown, right? It's the darkness. It's fear. It's separation. It's sin. And what is order really? What is order? order. Order's fulfillment is Jesus. Salvation. Come on, John 1, right? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, right? The Word was God. Right here... In the midst of all of this is the Word, is Jesus, is the penultimate expression of order. So God makes creation, right? If you go through Genesis chapter 1, right, each day he makes creation. And when, after he's done making creation, he says something cute. He says, uh, he says, Tov. It's good. He makes everything and he's like, it's good. And something mysterious happens. He makes man. And he doesn't say anything at the end. You're like, "Come on, man, we're not good. What's going on?" Like animals, the trees, everything—we're all good. And after after man, he doesn't say "tov." He doesn't say "good." You're like, "Now, this is he—he—he waits. He waits to express it. Because he waits, and after making man, he stops. He ponders, and he's like, "Something's missing." Before wife, something's missing. Sabbath. Rest. And he rests and says, you are to rest, you are to engage in my holiness. And then after that, after he reflects both on the Sabbath and on man, he utters, Tov Ma'od. It is very good. It's very good. You're not just good. You're very good, and all of a creation has been separated from holiness, but the Sabbath day, which is connected to the creation of man, they're linked together, and this is what's going on here. In the Hebraic culture, and the times, and the understanding, how would Jesus see all of this? The Sabbath and man is very good. The Sabbath is holy, and man is made in the image and likeness of God. Man is sustained in holiness by adopting the image and likeness of God. You see, what's going on here is this. That that, that we have an opportunity, right, to be sanctified, to be transformed into the image of His likeness. Our call by God is that man and woman were made in the likeness and the image of God. This is, this is so profound that we just kind of jump over it. But like scholars, even atheist scholars are saying, that understanding right now lays down the foundations to Western law. That a slave is just like me because he is made in the likeness of man. Or the likeness of God. So good. And, and a woman... She's on equal footing as me and I to her because we're all made in the likeness of God. No other culture had this revelation. It lays down the framework for all of Western culture that you and I are the the same in the eyes of God. This is how uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson can, can articulate, right? That all men are created, that they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among them being life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Why? Because who gives us the right? Our Creator, God. Why? Because we remain in His likeness. We remain in His image. We are, we are, we are, we are bound in this t- understanding of holiness. Because God makes us holy. It is so fundamental to the Western world, you can't just jump over a verse. You can't just jump over, uh, over, nothing, over this stuff. Out of complete chaos, Jesus resides, it says in John 1. God speaks, let there be light. Let there be light and there is light. And the word is made manifest. And the word is Christ, is the Messiah, is the, is the Son of God. Sitting in heavenly places on the throne of God. And what's his first act? His first act is saying that you have been made holy and that you are made in the likeness and image of a holy God. That's the opening scene in this movie. Guys, this isn't me. This is the Spirit of God. I'm sitting there Friday night like i got to teach on Sunday. Holy Ghost, come and reveal yourself. This is not me. This is straight up G- Jesus. This is straight up Holy Ghost. And a little bit of Dr. Jordan Peterson. So here's the thing. You know man, like this is great. You know, order from chaos. I'm like, "Hey man, you know things are sometimes a little chaotic, you know?" Yeah. I got two kids. I got two jobs. I have two dogs and one wife. <laughs> and she's been sick the last week and when mom is sick, when mama bear is sick, oh man. It's right, it's a different ball game, right? It's like cuz men are like, "I have a cold. I think I have pneumonia." And moms and wives are like, I, I I I I probably have pneumonia, but I'm not gonna like change anything, right? They're so much tougher than we are, Tom Blue. But when mom is down, it's like, woo! I think our dog Cooper might have been watching the kids at one point. I wasn't sure because <laughs> <coughs> we have you know, just been, like so sick and like congested, and it's like my car is acting up, and then there's a roof and the leak again at the church, and then there's water coming out. Actually. Roof from the leak, but then also, I don't know how this happens. It's like, I understand water leaking from the roof, but I'm like, dear Lord, like, how can water actually leak from underground? Because that's what happened last week. I'm like, I'm like, order? Like, you want me to teach on order, really? It's like, order, what are you talking about? All right, so here's the thing. Mankind, in, in many regards, in many regards, mankind is living in chaos. Right? Man is living in darkness. He's living in sin. He's living in these places. And so, uh, how and what and what's going on with all of this, right? God creates order and then man sins, right? And Adam and Eve are banished. Banished from uh, the Garden of Eden. But what are they banished from? They're banished from that, that relationship and in intimacy with walking with the Lord. But a whole other level is they're banished from order. The perfect pa- paradise is like order right everything's boom it's paradise they're banished from order it's more than being banished from the garden it's it's even kind of more than being banished from god i hate to say it that way because god was there right where are you adam like i'm here for you i'm here for you but there's a notion of of chaos that now overwhelms man and god actually prophesies that yeah, Adam, you're going to have chaos now. You have to work by the sweat of your brow. And, uh, and, and Eve, yeah, you're going to have some chaos now. You have pain and childbirth. You're going to submit yourself to your husband. That's a little chaotic, right? Yeah, would... you guys, you're newlyweds, right? I hope you hear my heart. Like, there's, there's, there's chaos. Not only is, is there chaos, it's prophesied that there's going to be chaos. And why is there chaos? Well, um, I told you there was going to be chaos right in the beginning here. Don't worry; it's not that morbid, right? We you know some some of us more advanced folks. We kind of know like uh, who brings the order, right? Come on, Jesus, <clears throat> and probably the, the, the worst part of the of the, of the chaos uh, is going to be that Adam and Eve, you and the serpent, now will be at war. The serpent, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, the enemy. You're gonna be, you're gonna be warring at each other. I mean, that is, that is chaos. <coughs> so <coughs> we see here, Adam and Eve are banished. Why don't you take a look at that picture for a moment? In case I don't go back to it, just really see what's going on there. Right? You got Adam with his covering his eyes, like he's, he's, he's shameful. I, I've sinned before God, and I'm banished from paradise, and now I have to engage with chaos. One of the most famous works by a Christian writer is Paradise Lost. Uh, by John Milton, 1667. It's like one of the great non-canonical works of Christian thought. Right? Like Pilgrim's Progress, you got like City of God, you have like a Bill Johnson book, and then you have John Milton Paradise Lost. That's a joke. But also true. I mean, it's great stuff. But what I'm saying is like, you know, it's it's a 17th century version of like the, the Christian writer that you're gonna get now, right? So he writes this epic poem slash story in sixteen sixty seven about the loss of paradise, the birth of chaos. It's about the fall, it's about the judgment, it's about the sin, it's about the banishment from the garden. It's about the chaos that, that has been ensued because of our disobedience. It was a very, very popular book then, and it's a very, very popular book today. This guy is getting like notoriety, like in the 17th century, it's like, man, Milton's going to come speak at the college, this is like, this is the dude, Okay? He is the mega dude of all Christian writers at the time. Now, I, can't, I can't even compare him. I don't, you take like Francis Chan, Bill Johnson. Give me another big name, like writer. Um, Bickle, um, John Piper, and the Pope. Put them all together, and you got John Milton in the 17th century. Okay, This guy is a mega lord, right? Mega lord as in like a big time dude. All right? Now what happens here is he's got this friend that no one knows about. I couldn't believe this. I was driving home last night from Philadelphia, and I actually saw a street sign that said the guy's last name. I was like, "Is there a connection? I don't know, but I'm taking it as a sign, Lord. That I'm, I'm hearing your voice to teach on this today." I couldn't believe it. Uh, his name is Thomas Elwood. He's one of uh, John's kind of friends. They were kind of like peer collaborators and ac- academics, and they studied together. Uh, and he goes up to the great scholar and says, "John," and this guy's like. You know, London best time seller in the, six, in the 17th century. He says to John, John, you have said much here of paradise lost, but what have you to say of paradise found? Wow. Let, let that sink in, man. You have spoken so much about how paradise has been lost, but what about paradise regained? The way the story goes is the great John Milton is there stunned, perplexed, quiet, And he leaves. Comes back a couple days later, and he uh, he presents his friend uh, with another work, Paradise Regained. This work explains the conversation between Jesus and Satan and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and how Jesus confounds Satan. And Satan can't even understand how this man, how this son of God could, could defeat him. And talks about how paradise has been regained, that out of the chaos of the world, order has been brought forth, that we are now back in the garden of Eden because of the Christ child, because of the Mashiach, because of Emmanuel, God is with us. Now the power, the power of this is that we have to learn something here from this experience for us today. And it's two things. Two things to learn. Many of us are focusing on the defeat. Many of us in the church focus on paradise lost, And you focus on the chaos of it all. And you can't do that. Yet you have to focus on what has been gained. What has been gained is union and fellowship and walking in the cool of the day with God again. What, what has been regained is order has been brought forth to your life. So we have to learn that we, we, we should not and we cannot live in paradise lost. We must and always be reflecting and living in paradise gained. Lost is chaos and gain is order. Amen? Come on, give me an amen or something and get going here. The second thing here, the second thing here that I think is is so important for us, so important, especially if you're not classically learned or classically educated, it takes a Quaker to astound a scholar. It takes a Quaker to astound a scholar. And who is a Quaker? The Quakers, with all due respect, they're a little like hippy-dippy now. All pastly unto God, whatever, like, whatever works for you. Like, that's how they are today. Oh, if anyone who's ever studied religious history, particularly, that is not how they began people. Dude, George Fox is this guy. He's fired up. The reason why they get the name Quakers is because when they come into the presence of God in prayer and worship, they tremble underneath the Holy Ghost. That's where they get their name from. Like, the Quaker Oat guy is like a prophetic apostle sitting there when you're eating your, your oats. <laughs> I'm serious. You just sit there eating it like, what the heck? Quake! They quaked underneath the Shekinah, the glory cloud, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the 17th century, they're shaking Holy Ghost revival. And it takes a Holy Ghost revived person to astound a scholar. Now why is this, man? Ephesians, man, Ephesians chapter one. So good. Sorry, I got my little font Bible here. So I sure, wore my glasses. <clears throat> this is it. This is what this is what <coughs> Elwood got. In Him, this is Paul speaking. In Him in Jesus, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also, having believed, you We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of His glory. You're sealed, man. Holy Ghost seal on your life. Holy Spirit is in you. It's a place of wisdom, counsel, understanding, fire, boldness, understanding. I remember I was in graduate school and we're taking these Bible classes and the the secular uh, uh, establishment was trying to disprove things in the Bible and show inaccuracies and all this kind of stuff. And I had some friends who were born again. We're sitting there eating dinner and they're like, like Dave, I don't know about this stuff. Like, look at all this stuff that they're showing us in the Bible—this, that, and the other thing. You know, I've been a believer my whole life, and I'm really questioning. I mean, we we'll won't get into. It. I mean, if you know, if this wasn't recorded, I could, we could get into some seemingly conflicting things that are going on in the Bible and the secularists and the academics, they take it and they they run with it. And I had dear, dear friends who walked away from the faith. One from America, one from Norway, one from South Africa. I mean, we're talking like worldwide implications. I remember sitting there and it's like, well, Dave, how come this stuff doesn't bother you? I was like, I gotta be honest. If I was like you, I would walk away from the faith. And they're like, I'm like, I have the Holy Ghost residing inside of me. I do not make my conclusions based off of what someone is trying to prove inside of me. I walk with Jesus, I have intimacy with him. I did not come to faith because I read a book, I came to faith because I came face to face with the Son of God. Come on. It's like, if you haven't done it, no wonder, right? I mean, Paul prophesies, right, when some other new gospel or some other new kind of prophetic message comes along, you're just going to go and follow them. Of course you will. It's called New Age. It's called Mormonism. It's called Jehovah's Witness. You just run away and you go to a new philosophy. But when you meet Jesus, like that Quaker, you astound scholars. You astound principalities. You astound demons and let me tell you something it's time for you and I to get in touch with our ancient divinely appointed ancestry say it again it is important absolutely fundamentally important that you get in touch with your divinely inspired ancestry Do you know George Washington had a problem? He had a problem with Bucks County. He had a real problem with Bucks County, historically. And the problem was, these people in Bucks County, they won't fight. They won't fight the British. Like, they can't get the recruits. Because the people of Bucks County took a pacifist route and I'm, I don't personally think that pacifism is, is always the right way. Sometimes you got to fight. Come on, man! You're a German living in the Nazi Germany. It might mean, be time to fight. You know, I'll turn the other cheek, but I'm not turning the other bullet. You know what I'm saying? But I'll let you do what, what you think, right? But this is not a, a lesson on pacifism. But here, here's I just want to be clear. Like, I, I, I think there's a time to fight, right? There's a time to go to battle. It's time to war it physically. Um, you, you know, we wouldn't be here really if, if not the case, but. I'm trying to paint this picture, and the picture is this: the Quakers were pacifists, and Bucks County was loaded with Quakers. You and I reside inside of a county that, 230 years ago, had more Quakers in it than pretty much anywhere else in the world, outside of maybe the entirety of England. This place was jam packed with Quakers. You go to Alabama, are like, what's a Quaker? Right, you go two blocks down, you see an old Quaker meeting house from like 17-whatever. Underneath this this platform, the soil of Bucks County, man, has a deeply rooted, deeply rooted spiritual expression of those people who are baptized in the Holy Ghost. If you think being baptized in the Holy Ghost and, and falling out in the presence of the Lord is strange in 2018, what the heck do you think it was like in 1700? Be like... The heck the uh, you this, this is what's here man that's what's under that's what's in the spiritual DNA of Bristol the oldest county seat in Bucks county it's right here I'm telling you, the Lord has called you and I here to redig those wells those spiritual wells come on the Quaker presence the presence of God the Holy ghost that astounds. Even the great scholar. Yeah. Mm. Two. Whew. More of your ancestral DNA. Genesis 128 says this. <clears throat> First two commandments by God. First two commandments. Be fruitful and multiply. Commandment two. Fill the earth and subdue it. This is the linchpin. To bring this all together. Fill the earth and subdue. And what is it to do to subdue? It's to bring order to the chaos. chaos. This is our divine call from the garden. You are going out, multiply, be fruitful, and subdue the craziness that's out there. It's awesome. Luke chapter 17, verse 21. The kingdom of God, which is, right, order, resides inside of men. We have the kingdom, the kingdom of order, the kingdom of salvation inside us. Mark 16, come on, man, this is, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Man. If there's nothing that is chaotic, I can't imagine the chaos and then the order that happens when you when you start speaking in new tongues, when you're laying hands on the sick and they're becoming healed, you're raising people from the dead, it's the call, it's the great commission to go out and share the gospel, but to go out with the power and the authority of Jesus, the power and authority of the sealing of redemption by the Holy Ghost to bring forth the order to the chaos. It's your divine call. Yes. It's totally your divine call. Say, but there's chaos in my life. Oh, the worship team calling down. But there's chaos in my life, and there's chaos in the world. And what do you mean chaos, man? I'm gonna be real with you. Right, I've got some dark times. There's times when I get a little melancholy, especially like in February. Right, I'm like, whoa. I do. You know, I've got to reach out to the Lord. There are things that sometimes some of us may struggle with or things that you say that you shouldn't say because you haven't been molded into the image of Jesus yet completely. And there's, there's chaos or there's things that are not completely together, right? It's like, duh. That's kind of like life. Like that's life. I was just going to lord this, and I felt him just say, yeah, yeah, there's chaos in life. Yes, I know. That, that's kind of the point. This is weird. You're like, well, what do you mean? Come on, come on. No, th- that is the point, that there is chaos. There's unknown. There's, there's all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I was talking last week about this, that, that concept is a story of man, right? If there's no unknown, there's no story. If there's no story, there's no being. There's no purpose, If everything is perfect, and everything is a utopia, and you've already arrived, then there's no purpose to your life. I know it's crazy, and I don't want to necessarily make a theology out of it, but we get so bummed out that we're kicked out of the garden. And I get it, but getting kicked out of the garden allowed us to have a journey, to have a story, and the story is Jesus. No apple, no Jesus. No apple, no story of progressively becoming the image of Jesus. And I know it's not a a thing that you necessarily preach on all the time. But I'm telling you, man, when you're going through the hard times and all this kind of stuff, we have to understand, it's okay. It's okay. It's a story. It's your story. Your story is to leave the Garden of Eden and transform the earth back into paradise. To subdue the earth. And it begins with you. It begins with you. I got some things in my life, Lord. I know. That's the point. You've been banished from the garden. And now this is the story. You get to do what I did in Genesis 1. You get to help bring order to the chaos. Being transformed into the image and the knowledge and the glory of Jesus from glory to glory till we see Christ Jesus face to face. It's like, things are bad. I know. But things are bad. I know. That's the beauty of your story. But but, but it wasn't always that way. I know. But you guys sinned. And now what a beautiful journey it is. You get to rely on the Holy Ghost. You get to rely on Jesus. And you get to transform your life with Jesus and bring an order. An order to Bristol. An order to your family. An order to the nation. Bringing forth the kingdom of God onto earth. The kingdom is the garden. It's Eden, man. It's paradise regained. It's Eden regained. I know some of us saw this last week, but I thought the Lord was saying, you got to show it again. Because this, I'm telling you, if you grab this and you understand it, not, not in a humanistic way, but if you understand it spiritually, it's going to change your life. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. You want to become a better person? Like, who doesn't want to? Do you want to be molded more into the image of Christ? To Mashiach, to Messiah, and to Ben David, and to Ben Joseph, and to the son of Joseph and David? Man, that's not, you, you gotta be careful saying yes. You gotta be real careful saying yes. Because if you wanna be molded into the image of Jesus, what did Jesus take on? What did he take on, man? I'm telling you, there's people that see their life in chaos, and they're afraid to confront it. If that happens, you will remain in the chaos. But what I'm telling you is you're not alone. Every single being, including Jesus himself, needs to go into the cave of chaos. Jesus takes on the sins of the world, complete separation of God, spends three days in the belly of the earth. That is a pretty chaotic and dark place. But what does he get after that three days? After that three days, he gets a resurrected body and he ascends into heaven to the Father and sits on the right hand throne of the Father. How? Why? By taking on chaos, by going into the cave, and on the other side lies the treasure of glorification. And it's the same with you, and it's the same with me. There's chaos, man. And sometimes you've got to go into that cave and you've got to go in with Jesus and say, I know there's a treasure. And I'm not going to allow the darkness to keep me from the treasure that I know is mine. And the treasure that I know is mine is for my family to be saved. For my community to be completely changed. For my nation to step into revival. For kingdoms to fall and the presence of God to rise. Now to do that, man, there's some dark things that are going on inside of you personally. And also outside. What's so awesome. What's so incredibly awesome is... That's what it is, to be a human. My dog does not have this dilemma. (laughs) It's the beauty of humanity. It's the beauty of journey. To become. It's a story of being. Being is developing. I'm not who I am. That's okay. Are you becoming? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Are you becoming? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, a little bit more. (laughs) Then keep going in, man. All right, I'm just getting a little long, right? Man's call is to go into the unknown, the chaotic place. To bring Eden, the kingdom of God, onto the world. It is such a strong call that it's the second commandment spoken unto man. Go. Go. Go into all the earth, subdue it, steward it, have lordship. It's so profound that the calling of Abraham only happens when he lech lecha, when he goes to a land. You need to go. You need to go into the unknown place. And I'm telling you from experience, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, if you're blah, if you don't know what the heck's going on in your life, I'm telling you, you need to adopt your divine story again. It's a place of meaning. It's a place of purpose. Your meaning and your purpose is to go into the unknown and transform it into the kingdom of God, into Eden, into paradise regained. That's your purpose. That's, this, that's the part of the purpose of the exaltation of God in your life. Amen? But there is a concern with this, and this I'm really going to start closing this. Please don't judge me until you get to the end of this. Because some of you who know of this guy are going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this just happened. Fred- Friedrich Nietzsche, or Nietzsche, pronounced Nietzsche in German, famously wrote in his book, uh, Thus Spoke Zethuserlar zero- Z- Z- or something like that. I can never pronounce it. Thank you. It's something like that, right? Thank you. He, he famously pronounces God is dead. 1890s, not 1880s, I think, right? He, 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 he's like this major Western philosopher. and He says God is dead. And actually, a lot of people misunderstood him. He, he wasn't saying that like, ah, God's dead, you should just be an atheist, per se. What he says here is this. God is dead, and man killed him. Wow. Man killed him. Obviously not physically, what what Nietzsche, Nietzsche is saying here is that the highly sophisticated, civilized, Western European powers, in their progress, in their humanism, in their intellect, in their science, they have proclaimed that we don't need God. Man has arisen to the place of God, and God has been killed, and he, we killed him, because you don't need him. Now Nietzsche actually prophesizes very dark things. I think in some kind of weird way, the Lord used him as a prophetic voice because he proclaimed that because of this, he says in the next 100 years, maybe in the next 200 years, Europe is going to be plagued with horror, destruction, and chaos because they no longer have a God to follow. That is a profound thing for an atheist to say. Two world wars... 12 million people killed in Western Europe, 100 million people killed in the Soviet Union, 200 million people killed in China, all happening in 50 years. 60 years from the publication that God is dead and man has killed him And you're like, Ugh, this, is, this is what I'm, this is the reason why I'm bringing this up is this, this, sh- this sends chills down my bones, man. God is dead because man has killed him. The Western enlightened scientists have done that. Fine. Well, this is what I feel the Lord is proclaiming to me and making sure it never happens. And is this. Have you killed him? Wow. 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 Have you gotten to such a place in your life? And you make so much money. And things are so comfortable. And water comes out of the tap. And the lights go on. And your ministry's on fire. And your music's on fire. And your, your family's doing great. Everything is nice, neat, and perfect. There's actually a concept of this known as the fin de siècle, it, in French it's the end of the 19th century where everything is like, look what man has, has, has created. And in that context, he a phrase, wow. you've killed God, you don't need him. This is the warning, you and I do not bring order to our sin. You and I do not bring order to our life, you and I do not bring order unto earth. You and I partner with God to bring order to chaos. You need him. You absolutely need him, even if your bills are getting paid. And if your and your bills are getting paid, it is so easy for your eyes to go astray and kill God. That's right. Symbolically in your life. You gotta draw on him. You gotta say, I need you, I need you. You are the compass, you are the one. Because at any given point, if it's not you, I'm right back into chaos again. I'm right back into the unknown again. I'm right back into sin again. But you, you seal me with your spirit. Yes. I set my eyes on he. That's right. So remember this. You need God. God is the one who makes the kingdom of salvation and order in your life. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, no kidding. I know that. Everyone here knows that, right? I think. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. Woo! Yes, Lord. Sorry. Well, you need to be reminded that God is the one who brings the word of salvation and all that. Okay, cool. But I feel like this is the second part. And this is this. You need to remember that you actually need God to remind you of the vision. I know you gave me salvation, but Lord, I'm asking you to remind me of the vision, the vision of my divine call to help you bring order to the chaos of the world. Because if I'm not reminded of that image, I'm just going to live a life of Nietzsche, that God is dead and I have killed you. But I need you to remind me to have a divine purpose, a divine purpose to bring Eden back to earth. We need to ask Remind us, O Lord. It's not about my bank account. It's not about my ministry. It's not about my job. It's not about my career. I have been called in a divine purpose to be fruitful and multiply and go into all the whole earth and subdue it and bring it subdued unto the image of Christ, the Messiah. Remind me again, O Lord. Habakkuk 2 says it this way, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it for the vision is yet for an appointed time. But the end it will speak and it will not lie though it tarries. Wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. What's the vision, man? It's right here. Go. Go and bring order to the chaos. By him. Make your bed. Make your bed. What does this mean? It means take care of your junk. Don't be transformed, Bristol, until you've made your own bed. Don't be telling all people how to live their life for Christ until you make your own bed. Physically and symbolically. Get your rear end out of bed in the morning. Get your bed in order. Let it be a testimony physically of getting order of the spiritual things that are in your life and move forward. Make your bed. Get your life in order. If you want to transform the kingdom of God and bring it back into paradise, it doesn't work from the outside in, it works from the inside out. You got to get this in order. And once I get this in order, I can help get my family in order. And then I can help get Bristol Church in order. And then we can get Bristol the town in order. And then we can get Bucks County in order. And it just goes. It's your divine call. In your life and in the world. To bring order to the chaos. And praise God, it's only done by the Spirit of God. Amen? It's done by Him. And I'm passionate about it because I'm telling you, when we get this inside of our soul, when we get this inside of our spirit, your life comes alive because you've got a purpose again. You're not just, you haven't just arisen and I'm saved, once saved, always saved, and it's done. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so much more. To be transformed into the image of Messiah, to bring order to the chaos, to bring forth Eden onto planet Earth. Amen? Amen. Oh, that's all I got. Father, we just come to You. Thank You for Tehuva Vohu. Thank You that out of the chaos You brought forth the order. And that in the beginning when there was chaos, the Word was with God and the Word was God. That He, Yeshua, Jesus, Messiah has been there since the foundations of the earth, world. That the Lamb of God, in fact, has been slain since the foundations. <sighs> Mary, are you really going to do O oh, Come, O oh, Come, now? Sure, why not? Or whatever you want, man. I just thought maybe you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I know I talked a lot, but or maybe not. I don't know. But we just—I 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 invite you to stay here for a moment as Mario plays. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And I know oh, it's a Christmas song. It's, it's not just a Christmas song. It's a declaration, of a couple of different things. One is the rejoicing of God is with us, right? But there's also another very profound, deep thing for the week of Hanukkah. And that is, O come, O come, and deliver captive Israel, right? It is a proclamation. God, come and save your people, O Israel, again. So I encourage you just to stay in the presence. Feel free to go downstairs and have some, some refreshments. But I also ask... If you want to come forward and just receive prayer, prayer particularly in what was taught on today, because I feel the Lord is releasing something. He's releasing a a fervency of excitement to bring order to your nuttiness, to walk into the divine journey, the divine story of being, of becoming, with the help of the Holy Ghost. So if that's you, I just invite you to come on down. We'll pray for you. Maybe some other people can come down and help pray. Maybe we have a pretty lax place. If 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 you feel led to pray, come on down. If you're a part of this congregation, you're free to do that with your brothers and sisters. I know Josh always loves praying. Jose always loves praying. If there's anyone else, it'd be awesome. I'm telling you guys. I'm telling you, don't let this opportunity go. There's an anointing here to cast the vision. To bring Eden to your life. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful week.